Support for Decoder comes from NetSuite. Here are some numbers all business owners should know for 2024. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com decoder. That's netsuite.com decoder to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com decoder. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. This is a bonus episode of Decoder. It's part of The Verge's Cybersecurity Week. We've written some very helpful how-to articles about rescuing or hacked social media accounts, how to password protect your files, and our team has reported out some great stories about job offer scams and the really wild black market for verified social media accounts because having a blue check makes your scam seem more credible. It's great. Go check out The Verge's Cybersecurity Week. We've got a link to the whole thing in the show notes. And as part of Cybersecurity Week, we have a very special episode of Decoder. Today, I'm talking to Steve Cagle, the CEO of Clearwater Compliance. Clearwater Compliance is an entire cybersecurity firm focused on the healthcare industry. Basically, Clearwater locks down hospital computer systems, which contain a huge amount of personal data. And they're so mission critical that ransomware attackers know that hospitals are more likely to just pay up. In fact, one of the things the cryptocurrency explosion has really accomplished is making ransomware attacks easier and more lucrative for bad guys. Steve and Clearwater Compliance try to make it harder. And then there's the data in these systems. Steve told me there's so much personal information in a hospital system that a single patient record can sell for a huge premium over entire data sets from other kinds of companies. We're talking about $1,000 and up for a single patient record on the black market. There's a lot of decoder themes in this episode. First of all, where does Steve's revenue come from? How do hospitals allocate the money to pay a company like Clearwater Compliance to lock it down? What kind of regulation is needed to make hospitals safer? There are insurance providers that require hospitals to have a minimum level of security or they won't be covered. That's a big deal for Clearwater Compliance. And then as the threats grow, the market grows. And so like every industry, there's competition and consolidation in the market for healthcare security. Clearwater is growing. It's acquiring companies. And Steve has to manage all of those integrations while keeping hospitals secure. It's a good one. And one quick note, because we get into it pretty quickly. Steve and I both say EMR several times. That stands for Electronic Medical Records. Okay, let's get into it. Steve Cagle, CEO of Clearwater Compliance. Here we go. Steve Cagle, you are the CEO of Clearwater Compliance. Welcome to Decoder. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. So you're on as part of the Verge's Cybersecurity Week, which is actually two weeks It's a very loose definition of what a week is. Uh, We're talking to a lot of folks uh, about cybersecurity, different parts of the industry, trying to really explore it. It is a big industry. So quickly, let's just start. What does Clearwater Compliance do? Sure. Uh, Well, Clearwater is a provider of cybersecurity, privacy, and compliance solutions to healthcare and other regulated industries. We specialize and focus on healthcare in particular. Uh, We think of healthcare as an ecosystem with different practices at Clearwater, specializing in hospital systems, physician practice management groups, digital health, health IT. And really what we do is we help our clients to achieve their missions by moving them to a more secure, uh, compliant, and resilient state. So let me unpack a lot of that. There's hospital systems. Hospital systems are consolidating. They're becoming ever bigger companies. There are doctor groups all these people have computers and EMR systems. You come in and say, we're going to make them more secure. You come in and say, we're going to run all of your IT for you. What is the specific thing that you do for these folks? Sure. Well, what what we do to to help our customers uh, tackle the challenge of protecting their their critical data, their protected data in their organizations is uh, first and foremost, help them better understand their risk. And it's a very complicated 
process, uh, especially in hospitals and health systems and large provider organizations, even in digital health companies that are implementing new technologies. So the, the challenge of, of actually protecting the organization's sensitive information and protecting the organization's operations, it's, it's very difficult. And the first thing you really need to do to uh, be good at that is to understand where your risks are. So what we do first is we help organizations identify what those critical uh, information systems are and to understand what type of controls they might have in place currently. And then we look at the specific vulnerabilities that those systems have, the threats that are uh, applicable to those systems, and we help them understand how likely it would be for uh, an attack to occur or a breach to occur and how that would impact their organization. From there, uh, we help organizations make better decisions about what they should do in order to solve those uh, challenges or to address those specific risks. And, and then we help them in execution mode, so building programs uh, to run that as, on an ongoing basis, to manage that on an ongoing basis, and doing some of the other uh, more tactical uh, activities that are, that are involved in that. The other thing I'll add, in, in healthcare in particular, compliance is a, is a big part of uh, the equation. So helping organizations not only to address the cybersecurity risks, but also to uh, do the things that they need to do to comply with the various regulations that are applicable to them. Yeah. We're going to have a whole moment where you just explain to me what HIPAA is. It's going to be great. I'm very excited for this question to come. When you just talk about that sweep of things, every time I hear a security person say, we assess the risks, I just think of that scene at the beginning of the movie Sneakers, where Robert Redford's company figures out how to break into the bank, and then they go and they tell the bank how to secure that. Is that what are you doing pen testing? Are you out there figuring out, okay, these are the vulnerabilities in your systems. We've exploited them. We can fix them. Or is it a little more uh, sedate? Yeah, it, 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 that is definitely a, a part of it. You know, when we think about risk, and this is a really important point, risk management is it's an ongoing program, right? Any type of organization that has something at stake that it needs to protect it's going to think about risks, right? We think about that in, in many domains, not just in cybersecurity. We think about it in, you know, how we we protect our organizations from uh, lawsuits or from uh, environmental risks and so on and so forth. So when you're thinking about cybersecurity risk, you have to start by thinking about the the assets that we have, information assets, right? These are not necessarily physical assets. It's data that's very sensitive, that's very valuable, and people want to get to it. You're also thinking about risk to your operations, your your ability to continue to operate if you don't have those information systems available to you. So first thing we need to think about are what are those systems, what are those crown jewels that are really important to our business? And then we need to think about how do we assess the risks to them? So pen testing, like you mentioned, that's that's one of the things that you might do to to test how how uh, strong your controls are, how effective your controls are, how good is the uh, organization at uh, closing vulnerabilities, and there's different you know levels of pen testing you can do. But then there's other types of things that you would do as part of your risk management program by looking at uh, in the controls themselves that are in place, looking at very specific vulnerabilities. And it, it's not just a attacker coming from the outside, right? It could be somebody from the inside. And that's a real big problem that we see today in healthcare is insider threats, people recognizing how valuable this information is, stealing the information, selling it. So you're thinking about risk management, you know, you're thinking about one, uh, defining how you're going to do it from a governance structure where your where your risk threshold actually is. And uh, then you're really putting a process in place to do this on an ongoing basis, identifying assets, assessing controls, assessing threats and vulnerabilities and the effectiveness of those controls, and then ultimately having a determination of your risk and then and then managing it on an ongoing basis with a risk management plan. So yeah, pen testing part of that, uh, risk analysis, which I just described, is a part of that. Um, and then there's other types of security activities that we'll want to do on an ongoing basis, like like vulnerability management and so on. When you say data and data being valuable, is it patient data? Is it billing data? Is it here's how many people got their vaccinations last month data? What is the specific data that you're trying to protect in the, in the healthcare system? Yeah, really, it's 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 any type of of sensitive data, but we, in particular, in healthcare, we think about what's called EPHI, which is electronic protected health information. Uh, that's a you know going back to a HIPAA term, 
That is one uh, of those terms. And that is really all the different type of information that you just described. It's, it's uh, very well defined in HIPAA, has a certain criteria of what defines EPHI. But that data is very valuable. It's very valuable because it's uh, extremely rich in terms of the types of information that is included in it, right? So you have, obviously, your, your personal information, very often social security number. You also have medical records. You have insurance information. And criminals are, are buying this information on the dark web in order to obtain prescription medications, right, that could be part of drug trade. There's uh, insurance fraud. You know, credit card information, obviously, is part of that as well. So it's very, very rich and robust and information that can be used to generate uh, economic benefit from a criminal, right? So that's that's really the, the motivation. The other motivation uh, of cyber criminals uh, is that they they want to extort money, right? Ransomware, and if they're if they're attacking a, a healthcare organization and disrupting operations, that then becomes a, a patient safety issue for the healthcare organization. If they're attacking a digital health or health IT company that's providing technology to a provider, then they're they're still interrupting services, and those types of organizations might have you know, dozens or hundreds of customers. So you're just multiplying the amount of data that they have and makes, makes them a very interesting target. So this is very valuable data just to, you know, give you a frame of reference. A electronic protected health record on the dark web could be up to $1,000 a record as opposed to, uh, you know, a social security number or a credit card record being a few dollars. I and mean, you can change your, uh, your credit card information. You obviously can't do that with your social security number. But, you know, medical information has a lot of different uh, components to it. So you put that information together, it becomes very, very valuable. All right. I feel like we're here. We're, we're talking about the specific data implicated by HIPAA. You run a HIPAA compliance vendor. Give me the 30 second definition of what HIPAA is and how it works. Yeah, sure. So, um, so clear, Clearwater, and just just to make this note, so you know, we started in compliance. Um, HIPAA was a big driver uh, back in 2009, when a lot of the the regulation came out with the High Tech Act. We don't have to go into the weeds on that, but but really at, at that point, what what that has required, and that really hasn't changed much. Two big components of HIPAA. One is we wanted to make sure that that information was portable, that it could be uh, shared. There was a big push to get you know to get hospitals and health systems to EHR. Or electronic health records to make our, our data more digital. And we also wanted to make sure that patients could access that data. That was a very big part of HIPAA and that we protected that information as well. We made sure that it was kept private and that it was kept secure. So in a nutshell, that's what HIPAA is about. In terms of Clearwater, uh, while HIPAA has been a big driver of what we do, at this point, it's it's really cybersecurity has become the biggest driver. And there's other types of regulations that have also come into play uh, over the last decade or so, state regulations around privacy, state regulations around security. We also have contractual obligations uh, that have become, in some cases, much more stringent than even the the regulations themselves. So, you know, I just want to make that distinction that while HIPAA is still very, very important, it's a big driver. It, it's one of the many, many things that healthcare organizations have to deal with in terms of compliance and and uh, you know and and, ma- and managing their security program. Yeah, I just think HIPAA is one of those things, right? It accomplished a goal, which is we're going to computerize all these health records. We're going to give people access to them on their phone. We're going to make it easier to take those electronic records to your other doctor or to switch providers entirely. That's all good. That's we made a database and we're going to make that database secure in some way. And we're going to give you the customer access to that database. On Decoder, we always talk about once you add computers to stuff, you inherit all of the problems of computers. So when my medical records were in a paper file in the basement of the hospital, right. they were harder for me to get to, but they were very hard for anyone else to get to. We've added computers to the chain to make it easier for me to get to them. And now you're saying, oh man, we switched from HIPAA compliance to cybersecurity. It seems like that's just a consequence of computerizing the health records. Yeah, I think that's that's right. And and if you look at some of the trends through the pandemic, we had a massive acceleration of digital adoption, you know, through the la- over the last couple of years, and that happened very very quickly in response to a crisis. Uh, and in that case, we didn't necessarily as a as an industry 
go through all the steps that typically one would go through, even under, under the best of circumstances, right? We're probably not doing as much as, as should be done in healthcare. But in, in this case in particular, there was a very rapid adoption of these new technologies. In addition to that, the data is available now in, in people working from home. We have not just uh, HIPAA, but the promoting interoperability requirements now as well, where we're, we need to share that information more openly uh, but securely with, with other technology providers. So the, the massive change in the technology landscape in healthcare has led to increased vulnerabilities. It's also led to more data, right? So we're protecting more information than ever before. So you have this dual effect of more vulnerabilities, more data, and now bring in the threat actors. Ransomware attacks are uh, have increased 123% in 2021. You've had a doubling of cyber uh, cyber attacks in the past year. So imagine, you know, you're in an environment where it's becoming more and more complex to manage. There's more at stake, and, and now you have more people coming at you faster, more well-coordinated. It, it's just an evolving uh, landscape, and it's something that needs to be you know, continually managed over time. Let's talk about ransomware since you brought it up. It has been a long year of ransomware attacks, of crypto-based ransomware attacks in particular. Is this still a problem? Is it as bad as it used to be? Has the industry started to figure it out? It's still a huge problem. Absolutely. I mean, there were 168 ransomware attacks against healthcare organizations in 2020, 2021. You know, this year we're we're continuing to see uh, ransomware attacks. Uh, they're, 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 they're going on right now. I mean, and we don't know if this hasn't been announced as a anything more than a cybersecurity or cyber incident right now, but Common Spirit, the, the second largest uh, nonprofit hospital chain in the U.S., is, is undergoing something's going on right now. You know, they shut down their IT systems. There is another ransomware attack going on in, in Texas, at an organization called Oak Bend Medical Center. So right now, there are healthcare providers that are, are, are dealing with ransomware attacks. Uh, so it's a huge problem. Um, you know, healthcare providers are the most likely organizations to to actually pay the ransom, right? So the you know the ransomware attackers know very well this is a huge impact. You can't you can't get medical records, you can't get tests back, you have to delay procedures, you have to divert ambulances from emergency rooms. I mean that is a severe impact to the quality of care. And you know, and, and they're going to continue to do that because they know they're they're more likely to get their money and to get it get it very quickly. And then you add on double extortion, right? So you've got not only the ransomware attack, but now they've exfiltrated the data. So even if you refuse to pay and you say, I'm just going to restore everything from backup or do whatever I'm, I need to do to get my systems back online, you still have the threat that they're going to expose your data or sell your data. And, and sometimes they do it anyway, right? So, you know, it's, it's a really very, very difficult problem, especially in healthcare when you when you factor in the sensitivity of the data and, of course, the, the, the delivery of care. Isn't the data encrypted in, inside the healthcare system? If you get the data out, how are you? How are they decrypting it? Well, it's not it's not always encrypted. No, <laughs> that's part of the challenge. I mean, it, it's it's not right. So, and the other challenge is that there, even even if it is, a lot of what you're seeing with ransomware attacks, a lot of a lot of those attacks start with with gaining credentials of of an employee. So, you know, once you get access, and that's a really one of the most common ways, uh, or the most common way that these attacks start. It's through some sort of social engineering or phishing where somebody is duped into providing their credentials. And if the organization doesn't have the the appropriate security controls in place, like the the multi-factor authentication or other controls, then um, they can get get into the organization and then from there... Of course, they can they can begin to move laterally. So you know, one not not everything is encrypted. I mean, these days most laptops uh, are encrypted. It'd be you know less likely to see what we saw maybe you know five ten years ago with with stolen laptops and data breaches that way. But certainly once you're inside the organization and you have those credentials, uh, you know you, there's there's a lot of opportunity to to uh, exploit vulnerabilities and, and continue to move laterally and then exfiltrate data or just tie up the organization in a ransomware attack. And then what's your relationship to the the vendors, right? So an attacker hits a hospital system, they lock down the system, they encrypt the data, they says, if you want this back, you want to run your hospital again, uh, pay us the money. The hospitals are mostly running on Windows. 
right? Then they're running EMR software on top of Windows, right? And maybe that's from Epic or somebody else. When there's an attack, do you, is it Clearwater that goes out to the vendors? Does Microsoft ever even get involved? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so Clear, Clearwater is not dealing with with the attack itself, although we do have partners that we work with that, that can help, and we can help our, our customers through that process. But yeah, I mean, most healthcare organizations, what they should have in place, of course, is they, they should have policies, procedures, and plans to deal with uh, these types of situations. So first, on the on the vendor side, right, if, if, if the... And there's there's a lot of shared responsibility in cybersecurity today because many organizations now are you know, in the cloud, they're using third-party software, and, and they're relying on that vendor to uh, have security controls in place. So the hospital, the payer, even the, the vendor itself that has its own vendors should be conducting an assessment of their vendor's security program, right? They should understand how they're going to protect data. In the case that there is a third-party breach, and that's been a huge problem in healthcare and other industries as well, because there is so much information now that we're trusting to third parties, you know, and unfortunately, you know, you're, you're relying on that vendor, right? So you're relying on that vendor to to deal with the situation, and and but it's still the covered entity or the provider or the payer who has to deal with the the uh, you know reporting to to OCR and and has a responsibility of of you know dealing with with all the notifications out to to their patients. So there's an attack but you now have the people who are watching. They're like oh shit we're being attacked. What happens next? Yeah, so you know that that's a great great question. So, you know, first and foremost you're you're trying to to contain the attack, right? And you're trying to you're trying to shut it down. There's actually a good white paper coming out where we talk about how TechLock uh, actually went through that that process of chasing a um, an attacker out. Let's say you you have the ransomware attack, right? And and now the organization now is is going through the process of having to deal with that. What we find, and this is a really important point, is, is that organizations that have done incident response exercises have playbooks that they're using to to deal with those situations and have gone through those tabletop exercises are going to be much more well prepared for that attack. So you, what we recommend, right, is to is to go through that process. Uh, you're typically going to have your your executives in the room and you're going to have to a- answer some questions, right? Like, who do we call, <laughs> right? Who? Because a lot of times it's the insurance providers that have a SWAT team that comes in if it's a smaller organization. If you're a larger organization, it's different. You're going to follow your your plans and your procedures for this. But uh, if you're a smaller organization, you know you're you're probably going to call your insurance provider. They're going to bring they're going to bring a forensics team in to support you and to assist you. But you have other questions to ask, like what are we going to do in terms of our reporting to our to our patients? Do we have any third party information that we have contractual obligations to report on? We might not know at this point if any data has been exfiltrated. And, and we also need, of course, to make that decision whether we whether we pay the ransom or or if we try to uh, try to restore. How long will that take? And then, of course, there's business continuity. What are we going? How are we going to manage and operate during this time? Uh, there's questions from the media. You're going to have questions from your your employees. It goes on and on and on. Right. So. Uh, those decisions have to be made very, very quickly. And if you're sitting around the table with a number of people and you haven't had these discussions before, that can be quite difficult, quite stressful. So that's the environment that you're going to be in. And then, you know, there, there's certainly a, you know, plenty of cases where we've seen more on the the hospital side of things, some of the impacts that that have had when when organizations have not have not been prepared. So we've talked about paying the ransom several times. You can only pay the ransom because cryptocurrency exists, right? If the Attackers were demanding U.S. dollars. The attackers would get arrested more often. I haven't seen anybody take a suitcase and make an exchange or anything yet. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but, but that's real, right? I mean, that, yeah. it is one of the, the things that cryptocurrency has enabled is ransomware attacks at scale. Crypto has crashed, right? It's not quite as valuable as it used to be. It might be coming back up. Do you see the the pace of ransomware attacks fluctuate with the price of cryptocurrency? To be honest, it's not not a a trend I've looked at um, specifically. It's a great great point. I, I don't think that the fluctuation in the crypto market is necessarily having a you know, big impact on on the uh, attacks that we're seeing, especially in, in healthcare. Again, if you just you know kind of look at what we've seen over the last several months, right there, and, and even now they're happening now. So it's very interesting because what they will they will do the the, the cyber attackers that are that are asking for the ransom is they spend time actually thinking about what the organization's willing to pay. 
And smaller organizations are going to ask for less money. Bigger organizations are going to ask for more money. And they're, you know, they're pretty good at trying to find a, an amount where it's like, okay, you know, let's let's pick let's pick an amount that they're probably going to say yes to. So they're they're very clever like that. And and you know, I think as the market fluctuates, they'll probably just you know they'll probably just be thoughtful in that regard as well. Because this happens so often to hospitals, and hospitals end up paying the ransom. Do hospitals just have like a reserve of Bitcoin? Are they all good at it now? How does that work? Yeah, I've actually, I don't think that's recently, but I actually heard somebody at one point saying, oh yeah, we just, you know, we'll just uh, have enough Bitcoin available to, to pay the ransom. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think that's a good strategy. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's a common one. Um, you know, there is insurance, right? There's cybersecurity insurance. And that, that's been a very, a very interesting trend there as well, because cyber insurance underwriters have had record payouts with with all the the breaches and ransomware attacks that we've seen and as a result the premiums are going up substantially i mean they, they've doubled right in, in over the last couple of years and on top of that they are really demanding there's really no other word for it but they're requiring maybe requiring they're requiring that before they're going to sign this policy you have to have certain security controls in place and that's putting even more pressure on on you know, on, on the insurees to, uh, and it's good because they're becoming more secure, but, you know, it's basically a cooker, cookie cutter approach. Like you have to have these things, whether they're the best things for the organization or not. And the uh, retention is going up, right? So you're going to pay more out of pocket if you, if you have a claim and, and limitations are going down. And then again, costs are going up, right? So the average cost of a breach should be in healthcare, uh, over the last uh, two years, has gone from seven million to uh, to ten million dollars, according to the Poneman Institute. So, if you think about, it's costing more. Your insurance is harder to get. It's more expensive, and it's covering less. Uh, that's a real challenging environment. And and the answer to that is, it goes back to risk analysis and risk management. I mean, you really have to do a very rigorous, thoughtful assessment and analysis of the risks in your organization. And then you have to make a business decision on where you want to spend money because uh, just, you know, saying it's going to happen and I'll, I'll have, you know, I'll have some Bitcoin over here. It, it's almost a hundred percent. If you pay the ransom, they're going to come back again. Really? As FBI has said this, I've heard them say it over and over again. If you pay the ransom, they know you're going to pay. So, you know, you're, <laughs> they're going to come back at some point and try again. So, you know, it's, it's a very tough decision. And sometimes, you know, th there is no, there is no other option, right? You've got to negotiate something and because you just don't have a good alternative, but you want to make it as difficult as possible, right? For, for those, those situations to occur, you want to have a good business impact analysis in place that you're, you understand what the impact is going to be to different business processes if it were to occur. And then you want to design your, your disaster recovery and your business continuity plan and then test that plan and then test your incident response. If you do all those things, you're going to reduce the impact of a, of a breach or of a ransomware attack. You mentioned the FBI. It occurs to me that uh, we've mostly talked about all of this as sort of a lawless anarchy, right? The attackers show up, you're involved, an insurance company is involved, executives are involved, are the police involved? Is the FBI involved? Does the FBI ever say, hey, pay so they come back and we can catch them the next time? Uh, well, unless the FBI has changed its position on that, uh, <laughs> I believe they will tell you not to, not to pay. Yeah. The FBI is involved or should be involved. So you know, one of the things uh, that we recommend to our clients is that they establish relationship with their local FBI office. And, and the FBI uh, does get involved, especially again in, in in the cases of hospitals, healthcare providers, right? It's a critical infrastructure industry. Uh, one of those first calls should be to to the FBI, and, and they they will assist, and they will certainly investigate, and, and they you know they they are trying to do things to stop this, right? I mean, they, there is law enforcement out there. It's just very difficult because a lot of these attacks are coming from from Russia and from you know other parts of the of the world where. Uh, our law enforcement is, is not really uh, able to to operate. What's the end game out of this? In fact, let me ask you this. Let me ask you the super villain question. Sure. You make your money because of these threats. The insurance companies make their money because of these threats. You seem like a very nice guy. I don't think you're a super <laughs> villain. But if you were a super villain, you would be funding the attackers, right? Like there's an incentive loop for you and the insurance companies and other providers of services here to make sure the threat environment remains high. 
How do you get out of that loop? How do you end it? Yeah. I mean, I think our our incentive is to help our, our customers be secure. And, you know, in terms of making it more difficult, I think, for an attacker to be successful, to me, that, that, that that's really what our end game is, right? We want to we want to make it more and more challenging for a third party to be able to successfully attack. Because it, at the end of the day, this is about economics, to your point. And there's a whole industry, right, that's been established, you know, ransomware as a service, there's affiliates, um, there's, you know, it's almost like franchise locations for ransomware. Um, <laughs> so there, there's a reason for that. Everybody's making money and doing it. So yeah, certainly if, if, organiza- if, if our clients, not just our clients, but if, if our, the industry was better at protecting their organizations, kind of like what you see in the financial industry, right? It's a very mature industry when it comes to cybersecurity. You don't hear about a lot of ransomware attacks in financial institutions. It's, it's, it's uncommon because there's been investment in controls, because there's ongoing risk management. And does it mean that the banks are not being attacked? Of course not. I mean, they're still trying to go after that industry, I'm sure, where they see weaknesses. But where are they really focusing a lot of their, their, their time and effort on? It, it's, it's healthcare, it's education. It's you know, those industries that have underinvested. So you know, the end game here is to get to a point where it, it's, not, it's not economically viable to continue to attack your company or your organization, right? Go, you know, go, go attack somebody else or eventually be great if they all go out of business. I don't think that's going to happen. But, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're trying to get our clients to, to a point of maturity that, that makes it, again, very, very difficult for them to have those events occur. I feel like if we go to the CEO of a bank and say, hey, we need to invest in security, they will at least understand that there's money in the bank and investing in security keeps the bad guys away from the money. Do you go to the CEO of a hospital and say, hey, you need to invest in, in security for you know whatever cloud-based system that is expressed on Lenovo laptops throughout the hospital? They're like, why? Right? Like, Is that the issue there, that they just don't see the connection between oh, we're going to end up paying a lot of money, or is that changing now over time? I mean, I think in this day and age, I think every every CEO uh, certainly understands the uh, the importance of, of cybersecurity. Uh, I just can't imagine to be in that position and and not be aware of that. And, and I think every CEO- Well, there's a lag, right? You're describing a lag between where the banks got to and where the hospitals of got course. to. Of course. Yeah. And, that, and, that's, and that's changing, right? It's changing. But if you think about, again, healthcare, the healthcare industry- has has a lot of challenges, right? They've they've had very rapid adoption of, of technology where they've underinvested in cybersecurity. Not great, but that's what happened. And reimbursements are are getting more and more challenging for a lot of hospitals, health systems. They have major challenges in staffing. Costs are going up with inflation. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to spend money in a lot of different places. So when they're thinking about risk holistically across the organization. Cybersecurity, the risk of a breach, the risk of a ransomware attack is, is one of many, many risks that they're dealing with. What is happening, what has happened is that risk has become greater and it's become more impactful to the organization and different healthcare providers and other organizations, other companies have experienced that. So they've, they've seen it happen. They've seen the cost. They've seen the devastation. It, it's moved from that could happen I get it, but I have all these other things that are happening right now that I need to deal with to, oh, wow, that is happening. <laughs> and you know, 89% of the organization surveyed from the Poneman Institute had a cyber attack targeted at them last year, right? So every organ- almost every organization is being, being attacked. So it is happening. And uh, that is why we're seeing more investment in, in cybersecurity. But there's a long way to go. And it's just not, it's not going to happen overnight. It would take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of resources. Again, that's where we're, you know, we think we're helping our customers uh, quite a bit in, in providing them with those capabilities that they don't have and doing it in a way through a managed service that uh, allows them to get a lot more for their money. That's really what we're trying to do. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we got to talk about Windows. Support for Decoder comes from Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that you can use to build a website and help people find your ventures. Whether you're seeking a location for your podcast, teaching language courses, or selling handcrafted ceramics, Squarespace has all the tools you need to create a home on the web. You can create a polished, professional place that connects people with whatever it is you're excited about. 
Squarespace also supports all forms of connecting with those people, whether you're selling products online or in person, or offering memberships. You can make your website look exactly how you want it. They even have the tools to help you create a custom logo. And they make it easy to create a place for people to schedule an appointment with you, browse your services, or learn more about why you do what you do. Visit squarespace.com decoder for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code decoder to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We're back. One of the things that has come up in this conversation a lot is a theme is consolidation and the pressures in the healthcare industry. There is a lot of consolidation in the healthcare industry, right? The big hospital groups are rolling up. The physician groups are rolling up. Your company is rolling up. Is that helping or hurting, right? Is it okay now that there's only like three big hospital chains in America, they're going to have all of the resources and they're going to be able to repel attackers or there's three big hospital chains in America. They're a little bloated and slow. We're going to go after them and they're going to be rich targets. In the long term, it's helping. I think in the short term, you know, there there's a little bit of you know disruption, right? I mean, you have organizations coming together on different systems and you're going through a process to integrate those those technologies and as you start integrating technologies again you're you're opening up the the organization for even more vulnerabilities again how do you address that you should be you should be doing risk analysis before we implement the technology <laughs> right you should do risk analysis I'll you should buy my that, product right well it whether it's for me or from you know from somebody else they should be doing it and but yeah, the, the point there really, again, is that that smaller organizations are going to have a harder and harder time dealing with this. And their data is still valuable. Like they're, they're still, whether you're a, a critical access hospital, which is a 25 bed or less hospital, or you're you know, a large integrated delivery network with dozens of hospitals, clinical locations, ambulatory, you name it, you still have very valuable data. And there's some amount of money that you're going to be willing to, to pay. Now, the small hospitals, small providers, most of them don't have a security officer. They probably have an IT person who's got some security responsibilities. They don't have, you know, you think about how much are they spending, healthcare spending between 5 and 7% of, of their IT budget on security, as opposed to, you know, the financial industries are spending 10% or more. And the budgets are much bigger. The IT budgets are much bigger to begin with. So it's a bigger percentage of a bigger number. And, you know, small hospitals... It doesn't amount to a lot of money, so you know coming together uh, certainly creates some uh, you know some efficiency or some scale, let's say, in, in trying to address that that challenge. Again, we're you know we're trying to advise our clients that when they're they're doing these integrations, that uh, they need to be thinking a lot about governance and how they set up their policies and procedures in a way that ensures that the organization is operating within the the framework that they've established and the risk tolerance they've established, but also giving them some flexibility at the individual hospital level to do the right things on the ground. And, uh, you know, that, that we call that our principle-based principle-based governance policy and procedure uh, framework, and it's, it's really helpful in those types of situations. It feels like in the background of all this, I've mentioned it several times, is Windows, right? Like all of these companies run on Windows, and I know Microsoft does a good job, would it help if there were more operating systems in the mix or more EMR software providers or right? It just seems like you've got these huge attack surfaces at huge companies. So you've got like a shrinking number of giant companies running the same software. And if you are a Russian ransomware operator, you can just focus your effort as opposed to saying, all right, we got to go figure out iOS too or Linux or something else. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's it's always great to have competition in the market. You know, there, there's a flip side to that as well. When you're when you have multiple technologies, then you have you have to learn how to protect those different technologies as well. But that is a great point, right? That from a from an attack surface perspective, you know, the attackers are only learning, <laughs> having to learn on one technology. <laughs> but I, I think you could you could probably argue that either way. Is that true for you too? Does your team only have to really think about Windows? Uh, no, I mean we have we have to think about other other operating systems as well. I mean Windows is going to be you know a common one, of course, but you know uh, you know Macs. I mean as well. That's that's an, uh, mobile devices. You know uh, we have to think about those operating systems as well. And of course we're now dealing in uh, you know cloud uh, cloud technology, so we've got to be good at 
uh, understanding AWS, Azure, Google, and so on. So you know, all those things are you know require again a lot of a lot of expertise. It's a lot of it's every day you know keeping up with what's happening and going on, and um, I think it again speaks to why it's important to to have. Uh, a partner or an advisor that's that's doing that, right? So because you 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 want to be able to make your decisions on what's best for the business, not on well if this is you know if I've got multiple technologies in here I have to learn how to protect all of them individually. That that is an important consideration, but ideally you have the capability, right? Whether you have it in house or you have it externally. Do you think all the way up to the sort of state actor level, like oh boy, the NSO group and Pegasus can target zero click attacks at doctors with their iPhones? We have to factor that into the risk profile of the hospital. We have to think of all of that, of course. I mean, we have to think about all the all the threats, uh, all the vulnerabilities that we think are relevant, uh, in particular for for the healthcare market. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's again, that's that's another another great point that you're bringing up is is just threat intelligence, and and having uh, that incorporated into how you're uh, thinking about risk, also from a monitoring perspective. Right, you're looking at different techniques, uh, different indicators of compromise that that may occur. That you need to need to have good understanding of those, and then from a technology perspective, you know, more from a monitoring on, in, in the uh, technology that we use, having good uh, technology that that helps to uh, identify those things and uh, you know orchestrate it and automate that. Uh, so that it goes to an analyst to investigate. So, yeah, absolutely. What's next for Clearwater and what's the next thing people should be looking for as this entire cybersecurity industry develops? Yeah, well, I think, you know, next next for Clearwater, we touched on that before. A lot, lot of wood to chop here on, on integration and getting uh, to a point where we're really seeing value for our customers. I think we're seeing that already, but, you know, we've got a, a really clear vision on, on being a leader in, in healthcare cybersecurity. I think we've got all the pieces now. And the next step is to put them into programs for our customers that, that create a you know create a lot of value for them and give them a lot for, for what they're paying. So we're we're really focused on that. I think the managed uh, security, you know, managed detection, threat threat detection and response is, is a really big part of, of where we're we're going with the company now. And and then combining again these uh, technologies and these assessments and, and other things that we're doing for our customers into a single pane of glass. I mean that's ultimately where we want to get to so that they have uh, a single view of, of what's going on in the organization. You know, we didn't talk too much about medical device security, but that's a really concerning topic for security professionals and clinical professionals in in the healthcare space. The FBI just released a bulletin last month identifying increased number of vulnerabilities posed by unpatched medical devices that are running outdated software. And they they found that as of January of 22, over 50% of the connected medical devices or other Internet of Things in hospitals had critical vulnerabilities. I mean, that's just a staggering number, and that's a real safety uh, risk. And you know, that we're very early days there on, on uh, you know, from an industry perspective in ensuring that we're addressing those vulnerabilities and that we're monitoring uh, those devices. And we're talking about things like insulin pumps or mobile cardiac pacemakers, pain pumps. I mean, those are very, very serious concerns if, if a cyber attacker gains access to that and is able to control that. So I think that for the industry, that's a, a big challenge. And it, it's one that, you know, as an industry, we're going to have to find better ways to address it. There's been a lot of technology that's come out over the last several years, but but the healthcare organizations are having a real hard time using that technology, making sense of the data and doing stuff with it because, again, they just don't have the people to do it. If I'm a consumer and I see one of these devices floating around, one of these insulin pumps is connected, right? This is, again, this is we're adding computers to thing and we're inheriting all of the problems of computers. How do I, as a consumer or a patient, make sure that the thing is safe or that it's been patched? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I've yet to uh, you know hear of, of patients in hospitals asking about the security program in, in the hospital. I think you you know you want you want to go work with providers that are demonstrating that they're 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 protecting your your data well. So if you're a consumer, things you can look for without even having to ask questions would be just you know the, the way that the professionals that you're working with are. Are interacting with with the the data that they have. You know, I remember one time I was getting my my eyes checked, 
and there was must have been somebody that was subbing in to do the, the exam and she didn't have the password to the machine and she shouted down the hallway asking for the password and they you know they shouted it back down and that that kind of concerned me <laughs> i said well that you know that that's so that's not good right so I, things like that if, if that happens then, then you probably you know might want to question their security program but i think you know you really want to make sure that you're you're going to organizations that are demonstrating that they're they're protecting information that you know you i mean you can look around and see if if screens are left up or uh, it's going to be hard to probably identify whether the medical device has been patched. I'm sure if you ask your nurse, she's she's probably not going to know the answer to that question, or just just going to say, "Of course." But you know, I think well, we got to normalize it. The coder yeah. listeners everywhere have to start asking this question when they go to the doctor. Yeah, absolutely, and that that's that's exactly where it's going to go. I think um, you know, patients and, and employees for that matter too. Right, we we all need to be taking uh, control, right, uh, or being responsible for how we're protecting data and. You know, for for decoder listeners as well. I mean, you know, thinking about your own security, right, of your own personal data that uh, you have at, at home. Um, I mean, that that's something we all need to be very aware of. Security awareness again is is the number one thing that really leads to uh, avoiding phishing attacks, which again is the most common uh, way that that uh, bad actors are, are getting you know are successful with a ransomware attack. We have to take one more break, but when we come back, Steve tells me how Clearwater makes its money. Support for Decoder comes from Notion. Winter is beginning to wind down, and spring cleaning is just around the corner. In that spirit, it's time to declutter your digital workspace. For that, you might want to check out Notion. Notion combines your notes, docs, and projects into one space that's simple and beautifully designed. And the fully integrated Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger. Doing tasks that normally take you hours in just seconds. Personally, I use Notion to keep myself organized and to store all the information I need in one place. I've tried a lot of productivity apps over the years, and Notion is sleek, intuitive, and powerful. In particular, Notion has an AI feature called Q&A that allows you to search all of your notes by simply asking for what you're looking for. For me, that means old links to news stories, long-lost notes to myself, and maybe even an old password to an account I might be trying to dig up. Seriously, give it a try. It's as easy as just asking a question. We all want to be sending less emails and tuning into less redundant meetings. And Notion can help you by automating tedious tasks, like managing and summarizing notes. It'll also help you save money on all those tools you won't need anymore with Notion's integration. Over half of Fortune 500 companies rely on Notion to simplify their workflow, and you can join them. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash Neelai. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash Neelai to try the powerful, easy-to-use Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com slash Neelai. We're back. That was a lot of time on ransomware. Thank you for coming with me on all that. Before I wrap this all up, I wanted to get into what I like to think of as the decoder questions. How big is Clearwater? We just did a, a couple of uh, acquisitions this summer, which which uh, grew the company quite a bit. So we're over uh, 200 workforce members today. And the, the two that we did, uh, we, we acquired a uh, managed service uh, security provider called TechLock, which provides uh, managed detection response services, security operations, and um, you know, doing things like endpoint detection and, and log management. We also acquired or really merged with a company called Synergistech, which is another healthcare-focused uh, cybersecurity and compliance provider that we've uh, respected for a long time. We've competed against, and now we're, <laughs> we're joining forces to really come together to be a stronger partner for our from our for our customers. So, growing quickly, but um, but certainly you know still not a, not extremely large organization, but but definitely feeling very. Uh, excited about the the new capabilities that we have as as we're growing here. I was reading the press releases of those acquisitions. Both of them say we're going to run these as independent divisions of the company. How are you? How are you structured? How are you thinking about the company structure over time? Yeah. So you know, for for now, we're, we're spending a lot of time learning and, and getting to a, a really good understanding of what each of these organizations are doing. And we are uh, certainly planning to to bring everybody together as as one organization, uh, but do that in a way that doesn't destroy any value for our customers. So, you know, we know there's a lot of good solutions, good experience, great people in all these companies. And 
we're working through uh, aligning the, the services portfolio, the technologies that we have. There's a lot there again, which is really exciting. But but ultimately, it will be it will be one organization serving our our customers. Uh, TechLock has been uh, fairly well integrated into the organization already, pretty quickly, and then and we're working now uh, very diligently on uh, you know, doing the same with with uh, Synergistic. And then just m- much more abstractly, after all these integrations are done and you're looking at your company, what will the structure be? Is it mostly security engineers? Is it mostly accountants? Is it mostly CEOs? Wh- wh- where's the breakdown? <laughs> from a from a uh, go to market perspective, maybe a good place to start there. You know how are we how are we really organized? So all the companies have been fairly similarly organized. Where you know we have a consulting services division that's providing solutions. Uh, Clearwater and, and TechLock both also have software development groups. Uh, so we have uh, leaders. We have a leader for software development. We have a leader for consulting services. Sales, uh, we've got a very specific go-to-market strategy and uh, how we approach our, our sales and, and also our delivery for that matter. We focus a lot on, on different market segments, in particular within healthcare. So a hospital system is different than a digital health company much more complex at a hospital in terms of the organization, the technologies, um, just how they're structured, and then their overall maturity. Um, so that's just an example. So the way we've aligned our sales organization and our delivery organization is to have people that are really, really good at understanding the business of a digital health company versus an ambulatory organization versus a hospital. And we found that allows us to be more more valuable to our customers and more competitive in the marketplace. So, you know, even within our, our services organization, which is the largest part of our of our team, you know, we have different practice areas for those different verticals. And then we also have uh, different types of practices, which are, are not really as vertical specific. So things like technical testing services, privacy around HIPAA, that tends to be something that you don't necessarily have as many, as many nuances, still some nuances, but not as many nuances as you move from one industry to the other. So our, our services organization organization, sales organization, you know, they're they're organized that way because it helps us to be better solution providers. And then we have a we have a marketing division, which is uh, again, you know, integrated, and then your your typical back office, uh, you know, functions that you typically expect. You said you have a marketing function. Are you the one buying the ads in the airport? And like on Thursday Night Football, like because right, that's like all, those are always tailored at like CIOs. Yeah. Is that you? Does that work? Our our, our marketing budget yet has not yet allowed for okay. uh, for Super Bowl ads, but we're working our <laughs> way to that. Yeah, our marketing approach has very much been thought leadership based, and if you kind of go back into the history of Clearwater uh, and Synergistic for that matter as well. Both of those organizations' founders uh, really established the company initially by learning a lot about the subject matters they were helping their customers with, and then going out and, and talking about it and teaching people. And there's you know a lot of education in our industry that's needed because things are happening so quickly; they're changing so quickly. It's very difficult for our customers to to keep up with all that. So uh, what we do at the core of our marketing program is uh, produce a lot of thought leadership, uh, webinars, white papers, uh, educational programs, and, and then we share that freely with the market. When we go out and we, we do advertising, so to speak, we're buying those digital ads, it's all about leading people back to that thought leadership. So it's not you know the same type of strategy where you're going out there and you're just saying, hey, Clearwater, you know, we're, we're a leader in this space. We're trying to establish our leadership by providing valuable content and people will make that connection on their own from what they're seeing and what they're reading. So I walk through the airport and I see the ads that are like cybersecurity and like literally the ads are designed to be scary, right? There's like a guy with a hood and a keyboard. <laughs> um, yes. And then it's like the name of a huge company. And I'm always told by the various marketing people who work at those huge companies. Basically, the idea is the decision makers are walking the halls of the airport. And if we just get our brand name in front of them enough, when it comes time to write the check, they're more likely to write the check to the familiar name. And that's sure. the whole game they're playing there. Clearwater is a 200 person company. You're obviously a leader in one industry. Do you fight that? Do you feel like you have to fight the perception that I don't know, Accenture or whoever else can come in and do this? Yeah, for you? A- absolutely. I mean, there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of competition in this space. It's a huge market. Um, you know, it's growing in, in healthcare, I think 16%, you know, CAGR per year. So, so it's, it's a very, 
attractive market, even within healthcare. Healthcare is uh, it's very nuanced, and, and people that work within healthcare, um, they, they really feel strong. Most of them will feel very strongly about that. So um, how we've differentiated ourselves in the marketplace for a long time has been with our, our understanding of the, the healthcare industry. People that have worked uh, in environments that have healthcare technologies that understand the regulations like HIPAA. We've, uh, we've worked with our customers who have had investigations or corrective action plans with the Office for Civil Rights, which is the enforcement uh, arm of HHS, Health and Human Services, which enforces compliance with HIPAA. We've helped our customers in four dozen cases. Uh, we've had a 100% success rate with having our risk analysis accepted by OCR. So we've got some very important uh, benefits, I feel, that we, we can offer our customers and, and those people that are working in the industry uh, appreciate that, right? We're speaking their language and we can offer something that's a little bit more differentiated and more ne- more unique. So we're still trying to get our name out there, not as broadly probably as being in the in the airports, but we <laughs> do it through other places that uh, executives are traveling, like, uh, for example, Chime, uh, Chime Organization, which is the College of, of Health Information Management Executives, which are basically all the CIOs of hospitals. So they're part of Chime. We're, we're a sponsor of Chime. Uh, you know, we work very closely with that organization. So we, it's a little bit more of a targeted approach, but still trying to get in front of the, the right people that are making the decisions. How do you make money? What is a typical contract? Is it by the hour? Is it a services fee? How is that structured? All the above. I, you know, most most of really where our customers are are moving to are managed services, and it's maybe something more healthcare specific. But I think having that that predictable cost, you know, for whatever it is that they're getting is is very attractive. And so what we're we're offering today really a couple of programs that are again aligned to to market segment in the managed services bucket. Uh, in the hospital and health system space, we offer a program called Clear Confidence. Clear Confidence is uh, really rooted in that risk management program, which I described before, and it's moving hospitals and health systems from from point in time assessments and uh, of their risk and response to those assessments to an ongoing risk management program. So they're really outsourcing that to Clearwater, which is helping them address some of the challenges that they have around staffing, resources, expertise. You know, they're just so busy dealing with the day-to-day, and there's been so much transition in security, especially within healthcare, that it's hard to get that consistent program going. So we take that program, we outsource it, it's a fixed uh, monthly fee, and then they can bolt on additional services that we can add and incorporate that. The other type of managed services program that we have is our Clear Advantage program, and that's targeted really more to the physician practice management and digital health companies and other mid-market organizations that need a more mature and robust cybersecurity and compliance program, but they just don't have the people to do that or really the knowledge of, of what they need to do, let alone the resources to do it. So we, again, outsource that. We'll take on the role of, of chief information security officer for the organization, which is a seasoned executive that has both technical and business experience. And then we'll, we'll actually implement and execute their program for them on an ongoing basis, map to whatever it is that they need to achieve, customer requirements, HIPAA or other regulations, and of course, their own risk tolerance. So that's a big part of our business. We also have a software program called IRM Pro, which is a risk management tool that's and compliance management tool that's really geared for healthcare organizations. And that's that's something that we sell for a subscription fee, your typical you know SaaS model. And then thirdly, we do have consulting services, which are more project-based. They also tend to be a fixed fee, I'd say, you know nine times out of 10 that's preferred. So let's say I run a small physician group and I'm like, man, I don't want to hire out of security. I installed all these computers and that was a mistake. I should have done this all on paper, but whatever. I hire you to do it. <laughs> Am I just paying you a fee like I would pay for every month for janitorial services? Does the price go up and down? Is that predictable for you? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So it's very similar. You know, we, we do. It depends on the contract with with the customers. Most of the physician practice management groups, you know, we're working with, it's, it's not your you know, single doctor practice. So uh, what we've seen uh, more from a trend perspective is private equity has really been investing a lot in rolling up these groups under uh, MSO or managed service organization models. And they're bringing in professional management teams, they're going out, they're acquiring 
different practice locations. They usually have some sort of strategy, whether it's a technology platform or reimbursement model or a specific focus on on how they're delivering the care. But they're you know it's a it's a company that's really very business focused and they're growing really quickly. So what their concerns are is, um, hey, my business is growing really fast. How am I going to protect it? And while I continue to grow, because what I really want to do is grow the business, like most private equity firms, at some <laughs> point they want to sell the business, right? <laughs> and uh, if I have a, a ransomware attack or a breach, uh, that's really going to make it difficult for me to, to do that. So do I want to do that myself or do I want to go out and get somebody who's really, really good at that? And that's what private equity firms do and professional management teams do is they they go out and they figure out how do I have the best operations I can, right? Operational efficiency. Uh, and quality. So that that message has resonated really well. And uh, for those types of organizations, um, you know, we, we do, uh, again, a lot of times go with our Clear Advantage program, which has all these components. They're different, there's different levels of the program, depending on, you know, where they want to get to and how quickly they want to get there. And then there's a, uh, you know, a fixed fee that we we establish for them. And, and as they grow, if they, you know, if they get to be larger, then, then there's some increase in that fee. It's not a linear increase, but it's, you know, something that's very reasonable. So, yeah, but it's, it's a predictable model. You know, they know that they're really working with somebody who's going to manage it for them on an ongoing basis. And then last decoder question, you all, you also run a company that has PE investment. You've been growing, you're, you're merging with other companies, you're buying other companies, you've got this market that's growing. How do you make decisions? Yeah, so that's a good good question. So a couple of ways. Uh, you know, first, we have at Clearwater well-defined strategic principles. So you know, we've, we've aligned on a strategy. We, we've put some very uh, strong uh, statements around that strategy and what we're trying to achieve. And when we're, we're going out to make decisions about you know, where we play and how do we play there, uh, we want to make sure, number one, that it fits our, our strategic principles. Um, so, for example, you know, we, we're, we're focusing a lot on healthcare, right? So is it something that we're doing that's going to be value to healthcare? Is it going to help us to grow in a market that we've identified as a growing market, right? If we're going to a new market, is it growing? And, and then very importantly, can we be competitive? That's a really important strategic principle. We, we don't just want to be able to do something, but we want to be able to do something better in, in, a, in a market that's going to continue to grow. Uh, we think a lot about value for our customers. How does it create value? Is it going to solve a pain point? Is it going to make our customers better? And then, then again, you know, how, how differentiated is that? Culture is a big part of our strategic principles. You know, how, what we're doing benefits our, our colleagues at Clearwater. That's a really important part of how we make decisions. And, and then, we, of course, we've got you know, financial goals and objectives like every other company. So you know, we start with those strategic principles uh, more from an organization perspective and how we try to make decisions in the organization. Uh, we communicate our strategic priorities to our entire organization. So our, our top first most important priority is always quality and customer success. That's a message that I daily am giving to the entire organization. And uh, but in addition to that, we have we have priorities around our business plan, our business growth. And the purpose of doing that is to ensure that everybody in the organization understands what's most important. And when they're thinking about decisions, because we do want to empower our colleagues to be able to make decisions. Um, we want them to be thinking about our strategic priorities. Where does it fit in the priority scheme and, and how do we make choices? Because we're not a huge organization, as we just discussed. We have limited resources. You know, we need to make sure that we're, we're doing things in a way that, that align to our strategy and, and that are you know, according to our, our priorities in the organization. You mentioned PE companies. They tend to move fast and then try to flip the company. You have a PE backer. You've just bought two companies. Right. That's a roll up, just like the PE companies are doing with doctors. Are you on a timeline to going public or exiting or selling yourself? Yeah, no, no timeline. Um, you know, I think the you know, the, the real important point here is that that our investors have uh, a lot of uh, conviction about the, the market growth and, and about about Clearwater. And I think we're, we're really excited by that and, and appreciate that very much. Um, you know, in terms of the you know the acquisitions to us, they were very strategic, right? So, one driver uh, for us, an important driver in terms of our strategy, where we want to go with the company, 
was to position ourselves uh, in the MSSP space, and in particular in security operations, right? The 24-7 eyes on glass that we didn't have at Clearwater. And we see that as a, a really important market. It's, it fits our strategic principles. It's a growing market. It adds value for our customers. It's, some, it's a place we think we can be competitive, but developing on our own would be, would be really challenging to do. So that was the, you know, the, the uh, investment thesis around TechLock. TechLock is also bringing some additional compliance capabilities that we don't have, which are important. So it's a really very strategic uh, acquisition for us. With, with Synergistic, a lot of the uh, motivation there was about gaining scale. Uh, increasing our customer base and you know having complementary solutions that we can provide to our customers, uh, ideally packaged into managed services, which we think will provide more value to them, and making us a stronger partner, uh, you know, giving us a more robust uh, management team, uh, the resources we're getting in terms of the consulting team. It's really, you know, it's not easy to hire talent in cybersecurity today. We've, we, I think we've done a good job of it and retaining folks, but um, you know, we need people and we're a people business. So we're getting, we got great people as a result of that. So we're, you know, we're pretty early. And since that, that's happened, we've got a lot of, a lot of work to do uh, to fully realize the, the value and the synergy of those transactions. Like any other private equity firm at some point, uh, you know, we all know that, that, you know, they're, they're going to do something to exit the business. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, what that is right now, I, I, I don't, I don't know. And, and we're not, you know, we're not even thinking there. We've got we've got so much ahead of us right now in terms of uh, growth opportunity. Uh, so our full focus is is really on that right now. Amazing. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming, Dakota. This was a great conversation. We'll have to have you back soon. Great. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thanks again to Steve Cagle for taking the time to talk today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And you should read our cybersecurity week coverage. That link is right there in the show notes. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, hit us with that five-star review. And as many of you have noticed, if you tweet about the show, I will almost certainly retweet you. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton D. Simone and Jackie McDermott. It was researched by Liz Lien and edited by Jackson Beerfeld. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior audio director is Andrew Marino. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. And our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.